Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I never know whether to say, hey, everyone, like a general greeting, or if I should make it more personal. So I guess I've given you the general. How about also, hey, personal listener. There we go. Now we've covered both bases. The entire community has felt welcomed, and you personally have felt welcomed. Uh, I'm not starting a new season of the podcast, but what I am doing is throwing a few audio files on here from my Substack publication, Patreon publication, which is really just my weekly newsletter. Well, almost weekly. I miss I miss a week here and there. But I've been trying to amp up my game recently, either amp up or ramp up. I don't know, maybe a little bit of both and provide a little bit more detail a little bit more insight on some of those newsletters. And I'm writing, I'm giving audio, and I'm also including, most importantly, some cartoon sketches that are hilarious. Trust me, I'm super funny. I have to tell my partner that all the time. I think she's starting to believe me. We've only been together over 30 years. She's starting to get it. At any rate, that stuff that I'm doing there... Um, I thought, well, my podcast listeners should be aware of it, A, so that they know there's other meaningful, well, hopefully meaningful writing that I'm doing out there in addition to book writing, in addition to this podcast. And B, it gives you an opportunity to participate economically if you would like to do so. There, of course, is no pressure, but I know some of you are trying to invest money into folks who are artistically, theologically trying to create new content that might help the world. I know some of you are looking for that and this could be that opportunity. So I wanted to make you aware. So I'll, I'll throw a few episodes onto the podcast over the next few weeks. I don't know how many I'll do, but it'll give you an idea of what's happening there and you can always check it out. The easiest way to sign up, if you haven't already, is to go to jonathanfosteronline.com. Right now, my Substack publication uh, subscription stuff is in the middle of the website and Patreon is in the top right-hand side. That might change in terms of location, but either way, in the future, both of those uh, formats will be there and I'll be using both those formats. So you might as well jump in with hundreds, literally hundreds of other people who are doing the same thing and sign up for that publication if you've not yet done so. All right, enough of that. Let's get to today's post, which I snagged from a couple of weeks ago. By the way, while I'm thinking of it, the quality of the sound might change slightly here. I'm not sure because I'm pulling together audio files from different spots and I'm the one doing all the production. So forgive me if it changes. It might not, might sound the same. Either way, today's post is called Woof Spiders and Truth. How a little arthropod might help us reimagine truth and power in a changing world. I recently read about the woof spider the counterintuitive way it builds its webbed home between blades of grass rather than immovable objects. 
The flexibility of the grass allows the structure to surf on or through rather than fight against the elements on windy days. The little arthropods environment is in constant flux, but it's figured out the strength of flexibility. I've been trying to write about truth recently, which for our purposes is generally synonymous with writing about the metaphysical, i.e. the absolute, the ultimate, meaning, the divine, etc. But writing is tricky, given that writing involves words, and words, well, ironically, they're never quite capable of telling the whole story. Words, like spiderwebs, are highly responsive, and when the winds of context blow, meanings and definitions will be affected. Ironically, there's a word to describe all of this, metonymy. It's a bit maddening, really. The only way to define a word is to use other words, but of course the only way to define those words is to use even more words, and so it goes. You get the point. One can spend all day turning the pages of a dictionary, but only words define words. Define words. There is no ultimate word that keeps everything solid, so to speak. Even more, pretending that there is can lead to a whole host of problems. Imagine the wolf spider who has attached his home to the largest stone in the forest, feeling comfortable and safe. You know, he's raising his little family, a bunch of little cub spiders, teaching them how to go out and hunt, hunt for sheep spiders, you know, just enjoying life, feeling good about being attached to the largest rock in the forest, even praising the rock, designing religious ceremonies that venerate the rock. And then one day, the entirety of the web is destroyed because of a big windstorm. The confusion of the little creature might be something like the confusion of the human creature when such things happen. Wait, I've attached everything to the largest rock in the forest. How could this happen? What does this mean? Deconstruction. Okay, it's this kind of thinking, the futility of language kind of thinking, that has played an enormous role in the disassembling of the collective ways we've all approached the world, i.e. our fixed reference points, as I've referred to in recent publications. Hey, you should subscribe so that you get each and every publication. Well, this is the kind of thinking that is the essence of that critical literary and philosophical analysis known as deconstruction. Before we go any further, let's get some stuff out of the way regarding this word. Deconstruction isn't what cynical and suspicious people do, though some who deconstruct are cynical and suspicious. Deconstruction isn't what all the cool people are doing around church these days, though many people around church are involved in deconstruction, and I can attest that, yes, many of them are cool. Deconstruction isn't for the folks who say truth no longer exists, though some do make such wild claims. And one more, deconstruction, it's not just switching parts in and out. Those switching things in and out are a part of the movement. So it's not necessarily any of those things. In a more technical sense, deconstruction is the idea that our meaning-making systems are constructed upon language, language upon words, and words are constantly shifting. But in a broader sense, I want to say that deconstruction is the intellectual honesty to admit that evolution is happening and truth is in relationship with all that is evolving. Boy, that was a good sentence. 
I'm not always saying I feel comfortable amid the evolution. I'm just trying to be honest about the reality. Things aren't quite as black and white, buttoned up or buttoned down, or straightforward as they used to be. The rocks upon which our webs have been attached have let us down. We are truly at a crossroads. The rock isn't as strong as we imagined. So we have some choices to make. We could deny such a rock exists, has ever existed, and live with little to no purpose, which is roughly speaking the move of the super secular. Or we could double down on all our rock-worshipping ways, saying, no, 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 the rock is still powerful. We just haven't modified our behavior enough. We have to repent and do better, which is, roughly speaking, the move of the super-religious. Or we could reimagine our understanding of power to learn the way of the wolf spider, maybe, and learn the strength of flexibility. I'm going to unpack each of these responses in more detail in my subsequent publications, and that's what we call a teaser. But for now, I want to say that what I think that I think is that the hope of the world lies in our ability and willingness to reimagine power. It's less an authoritative power rock and more a relational power rock that breaks all our attachment to such notions of authority, hierarchy, and top-down domination. Relational power might afford us the possibility of weaving in and through the winds of change we are most certainly enduring right now. Relational power gives us the humility to see that truth is in constant dialogue with context, and relational power opens us up to something new, something our world desperately needs, good grief, something I desperately need, and that is the idea that truth has never left us. It's just a different kind of truth than we ever had the courage to name before, at least the majority of us. It's a truth that doesn't fight against the storm. Actually, it's a truth right in the DNA of the storm itself. And if you don't believe me, ask the wolf spider.